You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're listening to Locked On Irish, your daily Notre Dame athletics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today's episode, we are previewing Notre Dame's next matchup in basketball. They will be facing off again with 16th ranked Virginia Tech, not Virginia, Virginia Tech. We will talk about a four-star linebacker decommitting from USC after receiving a Notre Dame offer. And then lastly, it is Senior Bowl week out in Mobile, Alabama. So we will be talking about the crop of Notre Dame guys that are currently out there, what to expect, guys who could have good weeks and guys who need to have their best weeks. Before we get into all that, folks, I am Joe DeLeon, former college long snapper from the University of Rhode Island, joined by Ryan Roberts, who is the director of scouting at NFL Draft Bible. So first thing we have on the docket today, we have a interesting matchup this Wednesday for Notre Dame as they are coming off their second straight win after beating Miami on Sunday night, a fantastic performance taking advantage of a weakened Miami group, they now have to face a Virginia Tech team that they lost to previously. This is a must-win opportunity as pretty much every single game in the final stretch is must-win. They need to win as many as possible to secure a mid-seed in the ACC tournament. This previous matchup, Ryan, that we saw when they played each other it was a, a very, very sloppy one. 77-63 to was the final score in favor of the Hokies. And the interesting thing is Notre Dame led at halftime and then was outscored by 21 points in the second half. And it's pretty clear, Ryan, what we saw in that loss is the same thing that had held them back in a lot of these previous games where they shot 37% from the field, a lot of those weak shots coming in the second half, and then 29% from three. All of it really comes down to how well they shoot. And this was another one of those games where they just did a really, really sloppy job. Well, I think it, it comes back to the the main worries that you have with Notre Dame consistently this year is it's the depth you know you went into halftime you were beating Virginia Tech and then you come out and then you just fall apart and that I think that really we just keep talking about it every single week I feel like we have a good starting five we have one guy off the bench that we feel really good about but we're playing seven guys most of the time and the attrition is naturally just going to take you its effect and we we, we talk about you know I I, th- I think personally That if we just look at the starting five for Notre Dame and the starting five with most teams in the ACC, including Virginia Tech, Notre Dame is right in the conversation. I think that players like Prentice Hub and Nate Lashevsky and and Goodwin and these guys, they can play at any of these programs. They're good basketball players. We are just not able to sustain because we just don't have the depth. Guys just are getting tired. They're getting exhausted in second halves. I can't remember, Joe, a game this year so far, really, that we were just getting outplayed handily in the first half. Like, Mm. every game is close, over leading at halftime, and then second half is where we have run into some problems. Fortunately, we just saw a nice game against Miami where Miami's not a great basketball team. We talked about that in our preview a little bit. They're okay. They're a little up and down. They're sporadic. But the players that we need to be successful in order to really – Play with some of these better teams, like a Virginia Tech, who's a top 20 team in the country. Prentice Hub 
had one of his best games in a while, which is great to see. He was efficient. Seven out of 12 from the floor, five of seven from three. We need Prentice Hub to get back on a track here. Nate Leshevsky had another nice game. Uh, our boy, Jawan Dorham, had a good basketball game. He had a game. good game. 16 points in 25 minutes. Some, some high production, man. Some good numbers per minute. You know, he did a good job. And like is the case of almost every breakdown we've done so far and preview of a basketball game, Notre Dame has a clear advantage when we're talking about size. We talked about this the first time they play Virginia Tech. Notre Dame has bigger players. They have longer players. We can cause some issue, and we did cause some issue Virginia Tech in the first half last time we play. It is about putting it all together. We need all hands on deck. We need Trey Wirtz. We need Juwan Dorham to have a good game. We need Goodwin. We need some bench scoring. We need Cormac Ryan. Like, we need these guys to all play a cohesive basketball game because when they finally do, I think Notre Dame is right in track and they're ready for an upset. The, what, what are they, the 16th team in the country, right? Virginia Tech? Like, yeah. th- they are right on track, and I think that they can upset them. They need a big victory like this, especially coming off of a dominating win over Miami. We need Prentice Hub to show up. There is opportunity here, and there is enough talent to win here. It's all about putting it together and using enough resources and getting enough off the bench where you don't start to fade in the second half because that has always been Notre Dame's biggest crux this year is they just do not seem to have enough depth to really continue to put their best foot forward and continue to to hold they use that momentum going into second halves. And what was an interesting strategy that wasn't really implemented last game to change things up, it was implemented because Bray was upset with the starters for their lackluster practicing leading up to the Miami game. He actually started the bench crew at the beginning of the game. And for some reason, that invigorated the starters. But the other thing that was interesting, they looked like they had more juice coming into the second half. So I'm not saying that Mike Bray should come out and do that, but maybe he should explore some type of a rotation that gets the backup players in sooner to give the starters more energy at the start of the second half because that was why they beat Miami was because they came flying out the gate where Miami was just shocked as hell that they were getting smacked continuously for the first five to seven minutes of that half. And they were up pretty big at one point. They were almost up by 20 because of that. Now, Miami almost climbed back because of the the fatigue that we continually see was starting to set in. But something along those lines, I think Mike Bray, if he finds the proper rotation, is about getting the right mix here. If you get the right rotation in to get the starters right for the start of that second half, that is what should the, should the priority be. That should needs to be the priority of keeping things close in the first half and then exploding in the second half because what was working before, playing really strong in the first half, tiring everybody out, and then sloppily falling apart in the second was not getting the job done. There's a reason why they shot much better from the field. There's a reason why they hit 55% from three. They're going to keep doing that as long as they try to follow that similar pattern that we saw from them against Miami. Well, and I think Notre Dame's best asset is that they are an outside-oriented team. They have a bunch of talented shooters. The problem with that, though, is sometimes, you know, those aren't the most high-percentage shots of all time, so you're going to get into those lulls where, like, things just aren't dropping enough, you know? You hit, hit those stretches where it just doesn't seem like you're you're making those consistently. You're not making the deep threes. You're not making the deep twos. Like, sometimes 
the, you hit spurts where it just nothing is going through the basket. So when you get into those lulls, that's where teams start to take the advantage and you start to get a little tired because then you're just starting to force things. The two biggest moments in this game for me, big stretches, I guess I should say, not moments. The biggest stretches are going to be the beginning of the game and then beginning of the second half. Those are the two biggest ones. I want to see what Virginia Tech does because Notre Dame was leading for, you know, a large portion of the first half. Last time they played, and they were leading, you know, by a slim margin at, at the half. But I want to see if they go up by eight points, they go up by 10 points. What happens to the Virginia Tech team? Do they start to get a little hasty? Do they start to turn the ball over because they're just pressing a little too much? And then, like you said, coming out of the second half, that initial stretch, they need to put something together there, whether they are leading close, whether they are behind, whether they have a big lead, whatever it is, because either you need to halt any uh, any any momentum that, that Virginia Tech has or you need to create something early on in the second quarter because that's kind of been the the hit-or-miss part of Notre Dame's team for most of the years. So again, second half, and I think that that is going to be the determiner of this game. You can tell me – I can tell you what the result of this game is going to be by the first five minutes of the first half and the first five minutes of the second half. I think those are going to be the moments where Notre Dame really has to play their best basketball. Coming up, we are going to discuss a top-rated linebacker recruit decommitting from USC after receiving a Notre Dame offer. Before we get to that, let's talk about Bet Online. Are we ready for the Super Bowl? The Super Bowl is coming up so soon, and I am absolutely juiced up to see Kansas City play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There's only one place that you can trust for betting during that week, and that one place is betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use that promo code Locked On for your 50% welcome bonus. Do you think that maybe Patrick Mahomes is going to win his second straight Super Bowl? Do you think Tampa Brady is going to add to his large total of rings that he has on his fingers? Maybe you have a hunch that it's going to be a surprising Super Bowl MVP with a prop bet. If you think any of those things, put a couple dollars down, 10, 20 bucks, earn yourself some beer money for the rest of the week. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action and don't forget to use promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Get more of the sports you need in less time with our new Locked On Today podcast. Peter Bukowski hosts Locked On Today, a daily podcast breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. Start your day with all of the sports news you need in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get your podcasts. So we've got a really fun uh, gossipy type story here, which I absolutely love because it's related to our um, our, our ugly sister on the other side of the uh, over on the West Coast USC that is I'm referring to we have a, a linebacker and I apologize for the mispronunciation because I don't think either of us are going to pronounce his name correctly Naifu Tuahalamaka a linebacker in the 2022 class rated as the number one linebacker per rivals I believe 24-7 had, had him somewhere around three He's from Mission Hills, California. He was a USC commit. Last week, Notre Dame offers him. You could probably guess who offered him. The man who has been relentlessly flipping every prospect that he can find. Marcus Freeman offers him. And he decommits from USC. And right now, per rivals, 
he is listed as a Notre Dame lean. <laughs> so this is a juicy story because I love to hear guys decommitting and, and leaning towards Notre Dame. But to have a USC recruit, which we've already had in the previous class, to have a USC recruit decommit and is now leaning towards Notre Dame is fantastic. And the thing that I want to talk about here, Ryan, is first of all, do we think that there's a chance that he ends up committing to the Fighting Irish? I would argue it's pretty good right now considering the signs and also who offered him and who's probably coming after him to come to Notre Dame. Well, yeah, and I'm going to defer to the gentlemen at Rivals because obviously they cover recruiting a whole lot more than I do. And if they're saying there's a lean... I think that the momentum of Marcus Freeman, like you said, getting on staff, and it, it seems like he's well-received so far, I think there's definitely a possibility. And Notre Dame traditionally has done pretty well in California. You know, I feel like there's three states in the U.S. specifically for football talking, Florida, California, and Texas. If you can pull some guys out of those three states, you're in pretty good shape usually. And, and we already saw Tyler Buckner from this past cycle out of Cali. So I, I think that we can continue that pipeline. We've traditionally done pretty well out west to a, um, to a degree for Notre Dame. And this kid, Toya Lachma... What did you say, Joe? How do you pronounce it? Good. Say it uh, Toya Halamaka, I think. Oh. I, we're going to hear it, and it's going to be nowhere near that. Yes. But he has a long last name. It's not going to be easy to pronounce. Toya Lal. All right, yeah, yeah. So what Joe said, so this young man, and no, no disrespect to him out there because he is a outstanding football player. I popped on the film of him. He reminded me a lot of um, Gaiote Teote, the linebacker that came out of Bishop Gorman that's actually at USC now. I think that he is super big, physical. He kind of fits that traditional middle linebacker mold, you know, probably the ones that you're, you're – uh, your, you know, your childhood. You remember some of those guys that were just big, super physical, the Ray Malouka types. Right, the guys that are playing C-gap to C-gap, like those types of backers. This kid is explosive in, in short areas as far as linearly. When he gets downhill, he is shot out of a cannon. He's a big frame. He's super physical. I don't think he is necessarily going to be the guy that you're going to keep on three downs all the time to be a great coverage backer at the next level. But what I do think he is is first and second down, man. This guy is going to be an absolute thumper, and he's going to be the leader of your defense right in the middle. So he is a super talented, well-rounded linebacker who I think can do some some work as a blitzer as well. So getting downhill, this kid's a stud. And like you said, anytime that we can pull a kid from USC, it's a good time. Because, <laughs> you know, that Michigan and USC are the, are the teams. For me, it's always been the same way. You know, I, I, um, I, I don't like to say that I hate anything, in this world, but I, I definitely dislike USC to a high degree. So being able to pull someone out from underneath their nose, especially the number one linebacker per rivals. And like you said, I think they were number three for 24-7 sports. So this kid is well-received from Mission Hills. Very good football player. I think that Coach Freeman coming in and establishing this, this momentum early on has obviously paid big dividends. You know, we, we saw what they've already been able to do in a very short amount of time. And now potentially getting this talented linebacker here from California. I think that this is very good to add to continuing this this little momentum builder of Tyson Ford. Hopefully now this uh, decommit from USC makes their way over to Notre Dame. I'm very happy with the early start to the Marcus Freeman tenure at Notre Dame. Yeah, that's the point that I wanted to wrap this segment with was talking about added evidence of the impact we are seeing 
from Marcus Freeman. And as soon as we get an update on on this one kid, this one young man's recruitment and commitment, and once we know where he's going, we'll probably provide some type of an update. Hopefully it is Notre Dame and we can talk about it in full depth. But this is just added fuel to the fire why I'm so excited that Marcus Freeman is a part of this coaching staff. And I would also argue this is very good proof that Marcus Freeman is not coming here for one year to immediately move on. Instead, this is clear that he wants to build something and he wants to build something really, really strong. And I would honestly consider the possibility, not saying that it's it's a lock to happen, but Brian Kelly's not that young. He's been in Notre Dame for a while. He is close to 70 years old. I know Nick Saban is close to 80. I don't know how much longer Brian Kelly intends to stay in coaching, but I'd be hoping that somebody like Marcus Freeman was brought into this program to be a possible next heir to to running the ship and, and riding the ship. And maybe you could argue that there's some other guys that have been a, a part of the the staff longer that would make more sense. But I, I would much rather have a guy like Marcus Freeman and do whatever you can to keep him around. I would almost compare it to wanting to have a similar situation to what Bill Belichick has with Josh McDaniels, where he has tried to leave and he's considered leaving and he's thought about it and he's come really close and he's like, no, no, I'm going to come back because you know that there is some type of a relationship there that when Bill decides to retire, Josh McDaniels is likely going to take over. Somebody he trusts, someone that has learned from him, all that good stuff. And that's, I think, something that you could build towards here. If, if you can convince Marcus Freeman to stay for a, for four more years after what he's the impact he's already had in recruiting and, and the, the impact we expect him to have next season as a defensive coordinator, um, he eventually could take over for Brian Kelly whenever he does decide to retire. Well, Joe, now I just feel bad for New England potentially having Josh McDaniels as their head coach one day. I feel terrible. (laughs) I'm sorry for Patriot fans that are listening to us, man. That was a terrible comparison. I hated it so much. Um, Oh, come on. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, I I said this from the beginning, though, Joe, and I – it's probably a little hyperbolic, you know, a little caught in the moment. And I know sometimes when we have hires that we're a big fan of, sometimes it goes a little over the top, you know, and and I think that Mm -hmm. we need to – come back to reality a little bit because we haven't seen Marcus Freeman coach down at Notre Dame yet. So we need to see what the results look like on the field. But I was, I was almost to the level, man, where I'm like, throw a, throw an associate head coach moniker on him, you know, put the label on him and be the next in line. Cause I think that he is that talented of a coach. And I think that he brings that energy and we're seeing it in the recruiting. I think we're going to see it on the field. I'm very happy so far with with the hire of Marcus Freeman. I think that it was a little more out of the norm of what Notre Dame tends to do. You know, they usually go to the experienced names. You know, thinking of a Mike Elko, who's a little bit older, has a good reputation. Brian Van Gorder, even though he was awful at Notre Dame, was a guy that had a reputation coming from the NFL. Those are kind of the guys that Brian Kelly has looked to. And then even like Clark Lee was a guy that was on the staff already. And most people weren't too big weren't that big of fans of that hire at the time. So, bringing in a young coach like Marcus Freeman who doesn't have any connection to the program and is kind of perceived as like that next up and comer is not what Notre Dame has traditionally done. But I'm almost to the, the the degree here where like Marcus Freeman's young enough where you might be able to hold on to him for a couple years because there's just going to, you know, that's just kind of how the game goes a little bit sometimes. College football is a little adverse to the NFL. The NFL has been kind of going on that wave of, hey, let's get the next Sean McVay. Let's find Matt LaFleur, like those guys, the younger offensive-minded guys. 
Marcus Freeman's 34. But in college football terms, usually you kind of have to wait that pecking order and you have to work your way up. So I want to see Marcus Freeman in Notre Dame as long as possible. I love the early payback to it so far. Slap an associate head coach on a man, and if he does well, I would be very fine with behind the scenes Notre Dame saying, hey, Marcus, you're the next in line. When Brian Kelly leaves us in four years or whenever it happens, Marcus Freeman's the next man up. Right, and I do agree do agree with you that we can't get too ahead of ourselves. My point in discussing this is saying that th- there were a lot of people that did believe this was a quick pit stop for Marcus Freeman, who would eventually take over as a head coach at a very big program in a big conference, just using this as his final addition to his resume so he doesn't have to take a a head coaching gig at a smaller program. He can go right to a big time. And so my point is, if you can continually keep him within the loop, instead of letting him jump ship in three years for one of those programs, you can convince him to, to stay as long as possible with an incentive down the line to possibly... I, I would rather have him over anybody else on the staff right now to take over. That's just me. I would rather have him over Tommy Rees. I would rather have him over Mike Elston. Like, there's just no one else for me that I would point to besides Marcus Freeman. So that's hey, the last man, thing you I were, want to wrap it with. You were, you were a, you were a big Mike Elston as defensive coordinator guy there for a no, couple days. Uh, no, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. No, don't put those words in my mouth. I was all Marcus. <laughs> I was Marcus Freeman all the way from the beginning. I just mentioned it as something that probably will happen. Not something that I wanted to happen. Mm, I don't know. I we, said something we might, that made sense. We, we need to go back to the, to the uh, playback. No, 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 no. You don't put those words in my mouth. <laughs> Coming up, we're going to talk about the Notre Dame players in mobile at the senior bowl ryan before we get to that why don't you talk to our listeners about rock auto yeah well if, if you've been in the markets to improve your car to fix your car you know that chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers rockauto.com adversely has prices that are the same for everybody and are reliably low rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than change than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can go to RockAuto.com today to shop for auto and body parts for hundreds from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and are the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in their how did you hear about us section so they know that we were the ones that sent you. Amazing selections, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson host Locked On's Peacock and Williamson every Monday through Friday. Brian and Matt give you the national perspective all around the NFL covering all of the latest news and insight on every game 
team and move around the NFL. Get your picks, previews, and much more every weekday with the Peacock and Williamson podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So Ryan, finishing up today's show, we have the Senior Bowl going on this week. It is going to be an interesting event, one that we are going to be paying attention to because of our involvement with NFL Draft Bible. And we have a number of Notre Dame players participating in this event. Ian Book, Aaron Banks, Robert Hainsey, Dalen Hayes, Adi Ogandiji, Ben Skoranek, and Liam Eichenberg. So this is a, a talented group of guys that we have written down and participating in this event. And just talking from a draft stock perspective for our listeners that don't maybe understand how these games work, guys go and, and practice for a week and then they play the final day. The practices are the most important part and how you do in these practices can literally make or break your draft stock. There have been guys like Aaron Donald who have had completely dominant weeks that have turned them into top 15 picks. The most recent, I think, was uh, Javon Kinlaw turned himself into a top 15 pick because of his performance during the Senior Bowl. So, Ryan, in your opinion, who do you think needs to have the best week out of all of these guys that I mentioned in order to make that big jump? Because last year, Chase Claypool was one of those guys that that did exactly that. Yeah, I'm going to cheat a little bit here, Joe, because I'm going to kind of go with two guys. Just uh, Of course you are. <laughs> oh, just a little bit, just a little bit. So I think that there's going to be a riser out of the defensive ends that we have in Mobile. Now we have two, Dalen Hayes, and Adi Ogundiji. I think that one of those guys, I don't know which one, because both of them have traits and they both have um, they both have a makeup to be very successful at the next level in multiple systems. The question is, which one of them is going to dominate the one-on-ones? Which one of them is going to do it? I am going to pick Dalen Hayes just because I think the athletic upside might be a little higher than Adi, but I think that one of those two is going to have a week where then people somewhere late day two who are always in the need of pass rushers are going to say, huh, let's bet on traits here. And those, those, the biggest practice drill that people watch every year is the offensive line, defensive line, one-on-ones. And those drills are predicated towards defensive linemen. They allow them to have one-on-one matchups, and usually they are the ones that come away as winners. So I think that Dalen Hayes or Adi, one of those two, probably both of them, to be honest, are going to take advantage. But I think that one of them specifically is going to really make a jump up and be that potential late day two edge because of the talent that both of them have. So I'm looking forward to those one-on-ones and seeing which one of them takes that advantage, which one of them against a pretty good offensive tackle group that's down in Mobile, see which one of them catapults themselves into that conversation. I really like the Dalen Hayes pick, and and I'm not going to stray much further than you because I do believe that Dalen Hayes is not really being talked about a ton, but I think a lot of evaluators are aware of who he is as, as like maybe an early day three guy. But if he goes out there and he really handles himself well, like you said, in those one-on-one pass rush drills, I do really believe that he is going to go out there and do very well for himself. Not to the point where he's going to push himself into the first round, but turn himself into a, a, a third-round pick, I think, is a a reasonable projection for him. And then I also like the Aaron Banks one, too, because he, again, is somebody who has not been talked about a whole lot because I think some people didn't really expect him to declare. And he's going to go out there and probably manhandle some dudes um, maybe not particularly in the one-on-ones because guards don't 
you know, they're not going to dominate in pass situations on every single ref rep. But when you put him in those run blocking situations where I think Banks is really good, that's where he's going to make a lot of his money is, is just being technically sound and stout for a team that needs a guy like that on day two to solidify their offensive line. Somebody that's maybe not as um, big name of a high upside, super athletic, talented player. Instead, you're getting a guy that you could plug in and play right away. Yeah, I, I was actually going to pick Aaron Banks as my guy that I think is going to have the best week overall. because I, so think, I think that's that's a good transition there. So I'm curious now is who do you think is going to have the best week? Not right. who needs to, who's going to. Yep, I, I, think, I think Aaron Banks is that guy for me. Because when I'm watching, and again, we talk about him being semi-underrated at this point. Uh, we have him at NFL Draft Bible as a top 75 player in the draft already. And I think that he has an opportunity to go even higher. And why I think he is going to have the best week is because we talked about this on the Believe in NFL Draft Prospect podcast last week about the interior defensive line class in this year's class is not very good. It's not very good. So while usually you don't see offensive guards tremendously dominating in pass blocking situations, I think he's going to. I think that he Hmm. is absolutely going to whoop the interior defensive line class down in Mobile because I don't think it's very strong. I think that he is going to show himself out. I think he's going to solidify himself somewhere on day two because I think he's that talented of a football player. And I think I really do believe that Aaron Banks is in, in, is in line for a huge week and he is going to catapult himself into unquestioned one of the top offensive guards in this year's class due to not only his talent because he's 6'5", 330, athletic, like he can do all those things, heavy hands, he has all those components of being a potential Pro Bowl guard down the line. But the other thing that he has going for him is that the interior defensive line class that he's going to be facing a bunch is not super talented this year. So I think he's going to have an opportunity to dominate some lesser lesser talent than we might see on a year-to-year basis. Yeah, I really like that point there. And Banks is a name that we have been really pushing. Again, somebody for us that we didn't think was going to declare. I didn't think he was going to declare. You thought more than I was that he would he would end up declaring. But he takes the invite and he's going to go out there and he's going to have a hell of a time because he's that good of a player and he's just not being talked about because some of these other guys like Trey Smith and, and, you know, Creed Humphrey and all these, these other bigger names that have been talked about since the beginning of the cycle are just going to remain at the top until some of these events happen and they can shift the momentum a little bit and push their way through. So banks benefits likely from a good performance this weekend. And I want to wrap up talking about, I know Notre Dame fans might not be the biggest fan of us talking about this, but if I were to pick somebody who I think might get a little bit lost in the weeds, Ryan, I would have to pick Ian Book just based on the fact that Kyle Trask is not practicing. He's, I, I don't know if he's there or not. Uh, Mac Jones is there. There is a talented group of quarterbacks there. And Ian Book is at the bottom of that list. He's going there because of the school that he's coming from. He's not that big. You know, he doesn't provide a whole lot. So I think that if we had to pick somebody to get lost in the mix of all those players, it's probably going to be Ian Book. And he's on the national team that has Felipe Franks, former Florida quarterback at Arkansas. He also has Sam Ellinger, the quarterback out of Texas. Now, Ellinger is not the most physically gifted player of all time, but I think when you look at them side-by-side frame-wise, you're going to be like, okay, Ellinger looks a lot more the part. But I think what's really going to hurt Ian Book, and, and I'm not – you know, I'm not a big Felipe Franks guy. Like, I think he's going to get selected somewhere on day three because he does have a really talented arm, really strong arm. But you're going to see some plays, man, where or some reps, I should say, where it's going to be Franks up and then Ian Book's going to come out or it's going to be um, come in or it's going to be 
Ian Book throwing, and then Frank's coming up next, and you're just going to see the difference in their arms, mm. and you're just going to say, man, like, uh. <laughs> I want to reach that Like, Felipe Franks is 6'5", and he's going to be slinging it all over the place, not completely accurate all the time, but you're going to see just the pure arm strength and the size that he brings, and then you're going to see six-foot Ian Book step up next, and it's just not going to have the same pop off his hand, you know? And then you're going to be you're, you're just going to start to question things again because it's nice that he can do so many things off script, and but there's still baseline traits that you want to have from the quarterback position. And I think when you are going to have to compare them to a guy like Felipe Franks just on his own team and compare him to the other quarterbacks like the Jamie Newmans of the world, you're going to be like, ha. Huh. That, it, that's not ideal. That's not an ideal situation. But. Right. He belongs being there, but the point is is if you look at all these super talented guys that haven't hit their ceiling compared to Ian Book, who is the one guy there that has hit his ceiling and is already he's already at a higher point than some of these other prospects, but teams are going to just see some of these throws from these guys in one-on-one plays, and they're going to be like, holy crap, we can work with that, and they'll just see Ian Book and go, eh, okay, sure. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> CFL, uh-huh. here we come. Right. And, and, you know, we're rooting for him, but it just being realistic and honest with, with his current projection and, and what to expect from him. Folks, thank you for tuning in uh, for this episode. We've got Notre Dame playing Virginia Tech tomorrow, Thursday. We will provide a recap for that game. Make sure you hit that subscribe button for our show and leave us a five-star review. Follow us on Twitter at Joe DeLeon, at Rise and Draft, and at Locked on Irish. If you're looking for something else to tune into, head on over to Locked on Today and hear about all of the latest happenings around the sports world.